This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. We say this all the time, don't we? We say we love this, or I, I love, I love these shoes, or I, I love this burger, or I, I love this thing, or and then maybe sometimes if if we are in love, we say that to the person that we're in love with. But we so band about this word love, right? If you're on Instagram, there is no other option. There is comment and love. They are the options on Instagram. You see this icon. It's just the love button. It's either I love it or I want to comment on it. And hopefully your comments are positive. And it's like there is no other option. I either I'm nominal about this picture that I've just seen of someone's child or of you or whatever it might be. Or I love it. <laughs> or on Facebook. Obviously, we've got a plethora of options on Facebook. If you're not on Facebook, you can understand... You've got like, love, laughing, wow, sad, angry, all these kind of different emotions. But we, we just jump to love, right? Sometimes we're like, oh, I love this or I love that. And maybe this morning I want us to think a bit about actually what is actually love? Like how are we actually displaying love? And actually when we say we love that photo or we love that thing or we love those shoes or whatever it might be, Is that the same as our love? Because if love is adoration, if love is unfailing, if love is unwavering, if love is undeterred, if that is love, then I don't feel the same way about these trainers. Because one day they will break. One day they will go through. That actually love is something more. Love, for me and for many of us, is centered around our love for Jesus and the fact that Jesus displayed the ultimate act of love in giving his life. This sacrificial act of giving his life, rising from the dead three days later, that we'll remember again Easter, but that we remember every single week here at Life Church. That actually, that is love. That is love displayed. That's when we think about this series that we're in right now, devoted. Devotion is not, it's not something that we just band about. It's not a button on Instagram. I am devoted to these trainers. Devotion comes out of love. Devotion comes out of commitment and we get to do that. God is inviting us into a life of devotion because he is so devoted to us. You know, this morning, if you didn't know it, Jesus is devoted to you and he, was so devoted to, he is so devoted to us that he died on a cross for you and for me. That is his devotion. And when we love something in, uh, out of adoration, when we love, love has to be stopped, not started. Love has to be slowed down, not sped up. Because when love is within us and abounding and growing, actually someone has to go, whoa, whoa, because actually nothing's going to stop that love, right? Someone was going to have to stop Jesus from coming to rescue us. Someone was going to have to stop Jesus displaying that love. And nothing did, obviously, because he did it for us. That actually our love for God and for what he has done and what he is doing is our opportunity to display that adoration back to him. Our worship to him is our outpouring of love. Our worship, our display of love to him. Our adoration And I want to encourage us this morning that actually God is inviting us to be worshippers, not just on a Sunday morning in a song, but actually for life. You see, we get to love him. We get to love God because we get to make him number one in our lives because he already made us number one when he died on the cross. He already put us first. We get to choose to love him because he chose to love us. He made us so important that he he would die for us. So we get to make him the most important 
person, God in our lives above everything else. And we get to show that love and adoration back to him. So this love that surely we want to have for him because he has shown for us, surely we can't contain that, right? Surely we can't just say, hey, I'm just going to sing a few songs on a Sunday morning. That's cool. I'll display my love to God. And that's it done. It's in a nice little package that is presented to me. And, I, you know, I get to do that. Well, actually, love is chewing so much more expansive than that. I want to love God more, way more than I love that picture on Instagram, way more than I love that tr- those trainers, way more than I love a car. Because actually, I say I love those things, or we say we love those things, but actually, it's not the same. It's the adoration, that unwavering, undeterred love that God showed for us. So this morning, I have a question for us, and I want to keep coming back to it. What happens in the gap? What happens in the gap? There's lots of gaps in life. There's the classic thing that you may be all thinking about, London and the mind, the gap sign and that kind of thing. But when we sing songs on a Sunday morning, there is gaps between songs. There is the bits where there's no words, right? So what do we do? Maybe we can be like super British about it and be like, ah, oh, the words bit is over. I'll just stand here and look like I'm waiting for a bus. No, actually, it's an opportunity for us off the back of those amazing words that have been written by Hillsong Planet Shakers, our very own Ruth Kelly. You know, we'll, she's up there with those people. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah, come on. Let's thank her. She writes the great songs. Because they are good because they come out of here and they come out of what God's teaching us. That's what's so good about them. But actually, when we sing those songs, they're a, they're a catalyst, they're a springboard for our worship to come out more. So in the gap, oh, that's the gold. Because actually in the gap, we get to sing our own song to God. And that's just in between some songs on a Sunday. Imagine if we thought, let's take it a bit bigger. And what if we talked about the gap between Sunday to Sunday? It's called the week. Most of us call it that. And that gap... What if our worship wasn't contained to a Sunday morning? What if our worship was overflowing and expanding through the week? What would that look like? And I want to think a bit about that this morning. You see, we are called to live a life of worship. We are called uh, to live a life of devotion to God. And that comes out as we are are worshippers in our day-to-day life. And worship is not just a song. Worship can't just be contained to just a song or just a moment. If worship is a lifestyle, it's not about us paying our dues to God or I've sung that song to God, you know, out of like, I kind of have to, it's like my tax to God because he's what he's done for me. No, God's like, hey, I want you to be involved in worship all the time. I want you to be worshiping with me all the time. I want you to be part of it because when we fix our eyes on Jesus and we worship him and we look into the eyes of Jesus stay with me metaphorically, we see more of the dreams he has for us. We see more of the future he has for us. And actually, we become bigger people. We become bigger in him because we see more of what he has for us, more of who he's created us to be when we worship him. That's the beautiful thing about worship. Worship makes our lives bigger. You see, some of you will notice it's a, it's a simple thing, but about goldfish, and you may have heard it before, but goldfish... Um, only grow to the size of the space that they are put in. So if you have a goldfish in a bowl like that, 
It will only grow to a certain size, and that's slightly out of proportion. That is a huge fish. It's quite scary, actually, with that right there. Uh, we'll remove it in a second. Um, but actually, if you took a goldfish and you put it in a pond, which is like, I don't know, 20 times the size of the bowl, then it grows bigger because of the size of the space it's in. You see, when we worship God and fix our eyes on him, our world gets bigger. Because we see more of who he is and more of who he's created us to be through our worship. And actually our world gets bigger. So when we worship, we're just getting a bigger tank. We're getting a bigger pond. What if we were like, oh, an ocean? I don't know how big goldfish go, but that would be a pretty humongous gold. That's like a goldfish size of Africa, you know what I'm saying? Just like if it was the sea. And maybe that's why the freshwater animals. But anyway, the thing is, this is God gives us a bigger space. When we worship him because he, he, we see more of who he's created us to be and more of what he has got for us. And so through a life of worship, we can move from a small place to a big place. But when we worship as a community, when we worship as a community, we then actually become a bigger community too. We're creating a bigger space for ourselves. We're actually saying, actually, our worship as a community can actually affect society can change the world around us, can have this positive impact because we are carrying something different as a community. Our our, our value says this about worship. It's going to be on the screen. A worshiping community that honors God in corporate gatherings of praise and a life of service to the king. So when we gather together corporately, when we gather together as a community and worship him, that is going to affect our whole week. And so actually, God is inviting us this is what's cool. God is inviting us to say, hey, you can worship me on a Sunday morning. You can, we can sing some songs. We can be led in worship together. And, uh, and if you haven't got it yet, worship ain't just the songs. You know, I, I realized a few years ago that God had called me to be a worship leader. But actually, I can't sing. I was kicked out of a band after two weeks in school. Because it turned out I just hadn't turned myself on. And when they turned me on, it was, ooh. Um, awful. Just thank, thank Jesus that my guitar got stolen. Um, but actually, I, f- I know that God has called me to lead people into a place of worship, a lifestyle of worship. And so when we're led in prayer and praise, when it's the offering, when it's the preach, whatever it might be in the service, it's not just the songs. It's all people encouraging us to worship as a community together. And so that is, that is so good because then that affects the gap. That affects the gap between Sunday and Sunday. If we allow that to overflow, God is inviting us to say, actually, hey, if you let this expand, it's, it's going to be awesome. Because it could not just change us, but it could change society. And how good is that? And what I love is when I, when I look through the Bible, I see a bunch of people who worshipped in some incredible ways. Check this out. Noah, when he built the ark, that was worship. Because he was being obedient to God and he was following God's leadership and saying, actually, I'm building something that can only be from God. Moses leading the people out of Egypt. That was worship because he was saying, God, I'm following you and I'm doing what's right. I'm, I'm leading the people to a place of freedom. Worship can bring freedom. Joshua leading people into the promised land to a bigger, spl- to a bigger place and a bigger pl- space. Deborah and how she led justly. That was worship because actually she's exemplifying how leadership should actually be. Mary in her obedience to God and and giving birth to the Son of God, that was worship. And she had a pretty cool song which you can read in Luke. Mary and Martha in their devotion to Jesus in, in different ways we see that. Lydia in her leadership of the church. 
Paul, in his resilience against challenge after challenge, was worshipped, saying, my God is bigger than these situations. And David was known as a man after God's own heart. They're just a few examples. And we see worship in these, in these, in these examples as it became counterculture in society and the people around them and it affected and permeated through what was going on because they were living lives of worship. They worshipped in the gap because they realized worship was not just in the songs, but it was actually how they lived their lives completely, how they led, how they did everything. And I mentioned David there at the end and, and we're going to turn to 2 Samuel 24 in just a moment. And we, in, in, this, in this moment towards the end of David's reign as king, Towards the end of his kind of spell of leadership over, the, over the, the kingdom at that time, he finds himself in a predicament. There's a plague in the land and he needs to do something about it. But he'd forgotten how to worship. And so he went up to a place called Aruna. Let's read. It's going to be on the screen. It says this. On that day, Gad went to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. So David went up um, as the Lord had commanded through God. When Aruna looked and saw the king and his officials come in toward them, he went on and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Aruna said, Why has my Lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Aruna said to David, let the Lord my king take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here are my oxen for the burnt offerings and here is my threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Aruna, gives you all this to the king. Aruna Aruna said to him, may the Lord your God accept you. But the king replied, this is, this, is, this, is, this is the brilliant bit. David said to Aruna, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice, I will not give, I will not worship God, worship the Lord my God with burnt offerings that cost me nothing. I will not give to God what cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver, a fair bit in modern David built an altar to the Lord, and he sacrificed the burnt offerings of, of, and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord answered his prayer in behalf, and in behalf of the land, and the plague of Israel was stopped. David went to worship. What was David's motivation for worship? He wanted to stop the plague. But David had forgot that he was created to be a worshiper. And so he found himself in the crisis moment, going to worship just to get out of a crisis. But I believe in this moment that he refound his heart as a worshiper. Because the turning point there was he could have just taken the easy option. This guy's basically he's like giving him the full package. I'll give you the worship package. It's the brand new CD. It's, 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 even got, it's even got a poster with it. You know, you can like worship and it's even got a candle, you know, if you're into that. And it's like the full worship package. I don't know who's giving out that kind of stuff. It's like the full worship package. And David's like, no, this worship's got to cost me something. I've got to give to this. He needed to worship to save the people, but he found his heart as a worshiper. 
And he needed to worship. And actually, if you read back in, in, in 2 Samuel 24, it was actually partly his fault that the plague was on the land because of a mistake that he'd made. And he, he was trying to come back to God and say, actually, hey, you know, I need, to, I need to come back to you. I need to, and thank, thank goodness it doesn't work like that anymore because of what Jesus has done for us. And so what is our motivation for worship? You know, it, it, when we worship, are we, are we like, God, I've worshipped a bit. I'm just going to twist your arm back. Will you now answer that prayer? Is God our vending machine? Have I put enough money in? Have I sung enough songs? And if I hit it on the side, I might get two chocolate bars. Is it a one-armed bandit that we pull and hope to win? That actually, our, our worship is, is none of those things. Our worship is out of adoration and love for him because he loves us. It's a response to what he has done for us. And when we worship, God will bring breakthrough. But sometimes it's not how we imagine. It's not necessarily how we exactly picture it. It's not like I've put this amount in, now I want exactly this. But God will bring that. Because God has good things for us. And actually, God says if we ask, he will give us some of those good things. And so our worship isn't about demanding what we want from God. It's an invitation to lift him up to where he, sh- where he should be, his rightful place. And say, God, we love you so much because of what you have done for us. And actually, that's not just about the songs we sing, but that's about every aspect of our life. And so actually, we see in this passage four very simple things that, d- that David shows us. In, 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 in what happens here. The first one is this. It's worship is for God, but it has a side effect. Worship is for God, but it has a side effect. What I'm about to say, I know this is nobody in this room, but maybe you've come across someone who's said this in their life. Come out of church, come out of uh, uh, singing, worship, whatever it might be. Oh, I didn't get much out of the worship today. Ooh, that's awkward, isn't it? Ooh, ooh. I just have a little cue card in my pocket that says, it wasn't for you. Um, and that is my response. So if you ever say that to me, that is the response. You already know it, so you might not want to talk to me about that. That's cool. But actually, I didn't get much out of the worship today. We've kind of got it the wrong way around. I don't know who they are. It's nobody in this room, as I already said. Caveat. Disclaimer. That actually one of those words. That actually, worship is completely for God. Worship is for him. But as we already said, it helps us to be bigger people too. And that is the side effect. There is only one way to worship. And we'll talk about styles in a moment, but there is really only one way to worship. And Matt said it the other week in his message, to make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of our lives. To make Jesus Christ the Lord of our lives. That is the only way to worship. I'm sorry to break it to us. It is the only way to worship, to put Jesus where he belongs in our lives. So actually, Jesus, you've got this. You had it from the start. You had it before I was even born, and you're going to have it after I'm gone. Because you are Lord, you are King, and you are leading us. Paul Gibbs said this, Worship can become more about gazing at ourselves and glancing at God, if we're not careful. And so actually, worship is for God. And so when we worship, I think we begin to realize more that actually we were created to do this. If you've ever been to a football match or a gig or 
anything of any sort where someone is put on a pedestal or someone is deemed higher. And that's fine. I, I love football. I love going to gigs, all that kind of thing. But people worship. You know, when I, I go to gigs, people just lose it. And not because, like, of something they've taken, but, like, they just lose it for this person. They're just like, you know, I cannot be more committed to this person in this moment. And I'm like, it's so obvious when I look around. We were created to worship. We were created to kind of wear some sort of brand or badge that represents God. And, and we see that in life. Like, some people love Adidas and other brands are available. And it's, like, soaked in it. They've got it tattooed on them. And it's just like, that is, that is worship too. And whatever it might be, we see it in society all the time that actually we were created to worship. But we were created to worship King Jesus. And you see, David had got confused. And I say this in the softest way possible because actually I get confused at this same thing sometimes. And God has to bring me back. That David was busy building his kingdom. And God wanted him to be part of building his kingdom. And so at this moment, David realizes, I believe, actually, this, is, this should have always been about building God's kingdom. This should have always been about what God is up to. And so worship points to God. Our lives point to him in how we live. And the side effect is that worship is key to our future. Because actually when we worship, we, as I already said, we see the dreams and future God has for us. And, and, and that is an awesome side effect. It unlocks dreams and Jesus gives us fresh vision. So worship is not just songs, but it's what happens in the gap. The second thing is this, is, is um, worship is my rhythm and it grows me. You can, I, I kind of put some my's and me's in there because it's for all of us and you can speak that all over your own life. Worship is my rhythm and it grows me. See, there is only one way to worship and that is to make Jesus Christ Lord. There are many different styles of worship. You know, in song, in dance, in rap, and they're just some of the ones I do. Fast songs, slow songs, whatever it might be. That actually, that's just in, even in some worship, in corporate worship, in community together. But worship is so much bigger than that. Worship is so much bigger. This, on a Sunday morning, is a catalyst for our worship for the rest of the week. It's a springboard for our worship. It's a springboard for how we are living. So what happens in that gap? You know, when we think about our, our personal lives, the, the way I would sum it up is this, is to put Jesus number one in every aspect of our lives. It says in Matthew 6, seek first my kingdom of God above everything else, and I will provide everything that you need. And so worship is going, God, you are number one in this. You are number one in my decisions. You are number one in, in, in the route to take. You are number one in who I'm friends with. You are number one in all these aspects. That is worship because that's going to reflect out. People are going to notice that. People are going to see that. It affects everything, and that is beautiful. And so what if we worshipped? What if? What if our worship as individuals, what if the life we lived affected the whole of society? What if actually people saw something so different in us that we were like, they were like, wow. They just carry a different attitude. They carry something different. They seem to just live a bigger life. They seem to have, they seem to have a bigger picture. They seem to have a dream. I used to have one of those. Actually, people want to get around us and be like, I just want to be with these people because they carry something different. It's because we're worshippers. What about in my work life? What if, what if, just suggesting, we, you know, we went, we went the extra mile and like did like an extra job. Not like, I mean, take on an extra full-time job, but like did an extra task or did an extra thing or, or, or actually in, in the canteen at work, we spoke good of our boss 
rather than just tried to like hide away from the people who are talking bad about him? What if, what if our worship overflowed into our work and, and, and the way we worked and we did it with excellence? It's going to catch people's eyes. People are going to see something different. Not just about earning brownie points with our boss, but because we're worshiping the king. Because we're living a life of worship. What about in our family? I don't have kids, but I do have a family. That's how I see life. And not just because I am part of a family, but actually because I'm part of building a family. And not just in our youth ministry, but we get to build a community and a family together. That actually, that what, what does worship look like in our family? Is coming on a Sunday morning a question? Is feeding someone a nice idea? Is prayer for emergencies only? Is encouraging others just for telepathy? That actually, what does our worship look like as a family? What is our culture as a family? Our, our direct biological family, what is our culture as a family? What does that look like? What does it look like to be worshippers together? And then when we, when we worship together, our corporate worship as a community, a community worshipping God that honours God as we praise him together, that lifts him high, that puts him in the place that he should be. What if when we gather, it is the reason we gather or part of the reason maybe in our minds is actually I need this as much as I'm bringing. Actually, I need Sunday mornings because actually it reignites my spirit to worship. It takes me up a level. It just goes, come on. I can worship this week. I can live as a worshiper. I can believe. I can see God do more. And so the gap between songs is we bring our praise in our community, but the gap in the week. And so David's rhythm he, had, he got back in rhythm because of a crisis. Crisis will come, and if, we worship, if worship is our rhythm, then that will just be absorbed into our regular worship. Worship is my rhythm, and it grows me because it makes me a better person, makes me a better co-worker, makes me a better brother, uncle, parent. Third thing is this, just as the, the band joined me. Worship is my thankfulness because he is thankful for me. Worship is my thankfulness because he is thankful for me. It says in Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He takes great delight in you. Come on, receive that. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. I'm thankful because of everything God's done for me. But God is thankful for me too. God is delighting in us. He is singing praises over us. Really simple thing about praise and thankfulness. Glenn Barrett once said this from this stage. He says, praise is the precursor to breakthrough. Praise is the precursor to breakthrough. David built an altar to praise God, and God brought the breakthrough. When worship is our life, when life comes at us, when life happens to us because we all know it does, there's a lot of little man with a pointy stick trying to get us, life is going to happen. It's our choice what we do. On New Year's Eve this year, sorry, Dad, I haven't checked if I can share this, but I'm going to. On New Year's Eve 2018, um, we received more bad news about my, my dad's cancer, and it was not the best New Year's Eve on planet Earth. I'm going to be really honest. It was not. And um, it was just not, not looking, it was not good news. But we made a decision as a family in, in, the, in the sadness, in the tears, in, in, in that moment to go, actually, no, we're going to praise God. We're going to believe God for what he can do. And not just so we can feel a bit better inside, but so that we don't curl up in a ball or dig a hole in the floor and just be consumed by our problems and what is happening to us, but so we can lift our head up 
and actually go, God, I think he might have this. I think God might be in control. What if I, what if I try to see through the mist and the darkness and the thing that's in front of me and, and see that actually God's, God's got this. And then what was really cool was there was a little answer to prayer, part, part of an answer to prayer that, that um, a reading that he has for his cancer dropped from 10 point something to 0.34 a week later. Um, I don't think that was a coincidence. I just don't believe in coincidences. We've got to believe that God has the breakthrough because our thankfulness will carry us through. Praise helps us stand when we want to just curl up in a ball. Praise says, let's go again. Praise says, have a go, you mug. Praise says, what is the best that can happen? And so when we praise together, it changes, it changes the atmosphere in here. But then it changes the atmosphere in here as we walk out, as we carry that. And just as the band begin to play, the final thing is this, that worship costs us something. We keep, we keep hinting towards this. That actually, the thing that David did was, he said, no, I'm not receiving the worship package. I am paying for it myself. No, I insist on paying you for it. He says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. We were created to worship, but worship will cost us something. It says in Romans that, we are called to be living sacrifices, to give our bodies to God because of all he has done for us. So let us be living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship. And sometimes we get so caught up in the, oh, the worship wasn't great for me. Or I want worship. I want this kind of worship or that kind of worship. But actually when we live out in our lives, in our day-to-day in the gap, Maguachi, that gap is for me to worship. The gap in the songs is for me to bring my praise. The gap in the week is for me to live a life of worship. And when we gather together on a Sunday morning, as we sing songs, as we lift God up to where he is, that is just a springboard for the rest of the week, for how we live a life of worship. But it will cost us something. Because let's be honest, if we're not keen on a song or something, that doesn't cost us much. But actually, worship will cost us something. Worship is a sacrifice. What will it cost for us? That true sacrifice happens in the gap. It's going to affect the decisions we make, the people we spend our time with, maybe even the job we do, if we choose to live a life of worship. This morning, I really hope that the vision offering costs us all something. Matt said a brilliant line last week. He said, Our vision offering should be sacrificial and sensible, which was just wisdom. But it has to be sacrificial and sensible, and we get to do that. And so when I say worship costs us something, it's not just the vision offering. It can be all of our lives. And when we choose to live a life of worship to God, when we worship him for all he he is and all he's created us to be, then actually that's going to affect and permeate through our lives, and it's going to be awesome because we get a bigger dream and we go into a bigger space and God grows us and expands us because we are fixed on him and when life happens at us our praise is going to bring us through our praise is going to bring us through because that is who God has created us to be in John 4 24 and I'll finish with this Jesus, Jesus talks about what kind of worship and he says for God is spirit so those who worship him must worship in spirit 
and truth. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. God has created us to be worshippers. It's our opportunity to go, actually, what happens in the gap? What does my worship look like? And so this morning, you might want to change that question and go, actually, what am I going to do in the gap? And this morning, when we sing more songs or, or next week, whatever it might be, it might be that gap between songs where you step out and go, I'm just going to be a bit thankful to God verbally, out loud. Let's see what happens. And in our week, what does that look like in the gap between Sundays, our worship and how we live our life? And maybe this morning, you've heard what I'm talking about. I'm talking about actually what Jesus has done for us and how Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice, how he did the ultimate act of worship. Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.